A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Ocean Protect podcast, talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect, committed to change. Shan Mead, welcome back to the Ocean Protect podcast. Thank you very much. Great to be back. Oh, look, it's a real pleasure. And you would not have met my esteemed colleague, Jeremy Brown. Not yet, no. Hello, Shan. How are you, mate? Yeah, doing well, thanks. Good to meet. And this is actually your second appearance on the show. If people have missed the uh, previous episode with Shannon, it's a season three, episode 13, recorded back in May last year. I was going to say, do you know that off the top of your head? <laughs> Yeah, he does. I, I, absolutely. I'm not looking at any notes at all. <laughs> it looks like it's a lot, uh, lot cooler down there than it is up in Queensland, though. It has been a bit chilly. Uh, the mornings are cold, but it's nothing like uh, our friends in Wanaka. Is that right, Jeremy? Well, look, um, I have to be honest with you guys. I um, have just come down off the mountain been skiing today. Sorry, guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Jeremy. Really appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> well, whilst you've been gallivanting across the uh, ski slopes... Of Wanaka, uh, Shannon and I have been working very hard. And Shannon, you've probably been uh, uh, head down bum up since we've last spoken. And one thing I love hearing, and I've heard you drop two truth bombs twice. And I love, as I'm sure you know from our show, we love tr- truth bombs. And I love the truth bombs that you drop around cigarette butts. So for people who have missed the previous episode, or even if you had, it wouldn't hurt to recap. If you want to just lay us on some truth bombs about cigarette butts to blow our minds once more. So they're the most littered item in Australia. I think last time we spoke, we were sort of around about 8 billion was the estimate. Since then, there's been a further report released by um, WWF um, through Equilibrium Consultants, which suggested 8.9 billion. So that's the upper estimate. So that's per year. Per year in Australia. Wow. That is staggering. And they're looking at 4.5 trillion is kind of the, the number globally. And that really hasn't moved for a couple of years. So obviously smoking um, rates may be declining, but more markets getting access to it or population increase essentially means the net number is the same. And as I usually say, whether it's 4.4 trillion or 4.6 trillion between friends, it's a lot of butts. Obviously, Australia is, you know, our, our primary uh, focus being Australian based, but we're certainly keeping an eye on what's happened with the global situation. And I think the other thing that people don't realize is, yes, it is a plastic. And that means that it actually can take up to 15 years to break down when it's in the environment. You know, not only are we talking about, let's say, you know, up to 9 billion littered in Australia each year, but those 9 billion accumulate over a period of, of 15 years. So at any one point in time, you could argue that there's actually, you know, 15 years worth of 9 billion cigarettes butts and that's enough to fill you know a sporting arena it's a huge number that is staggering i used to be a former smoker used to be a former smoker or still are a former smoker (laughs) (laughs) my day on the ski field has been that great oh yeah bring back the skill fields let's get back to smoking jeremy (laughs) but i obviously do what we do if i saw someone throw a cigarette butt out i would just go mental i'd put them in my pocket regular occurrence if you couldn't find a place to put them out i used to obviously stick them in my pocket so i was always very aware of that and, and, and aware of that number i would have thought over the last few years that number would have come down considering less people are smoking more people are vaping but no that number is still increasing so that would say that more people are either smoking or more people are throwing them out have you got any guidance on, on one or the other there Shannon? Yeah, so I think there's two relevant things to pick up and hopefully we can have a chance to talk about vaping later because that is obviously an emerging trend and that creates new streams of litter and waste. But talking about the litter amounts, I think when we saw that report of the 8.9 billion, that's sort of the upper estimate and that's using approximate um, consumption data 
of let's say it's 17.8 billion with an upper estimate of 30 to 50% globally are littered. So there is a lower range and a higher range, but that's where that number has come from. So it could indeed be somewhere in there. So maybe that 8 billion is not necessarily increased in theory, but it's more so, I guess, a, a different science of applying, you know, that litter because previous ones look at audit sites and per square meter and extrapolate the data. Different investigators use, for example, how many packets are found and the assumption is there's 25 per packet. So I think that number is always debatable. But as I said, whether that's 6 billion or 8.9 billion, it's a lot. The numbers get that big, whether that's pollution in the ocean or CO2 in the atmosphere or butts on the ground, the numbers get that big, people get overwhelmed with them. And even we do, you know, ah, oh, 14 billion tons worth of plastic in the ocean. Ah, oh, you know, that's fine. The numbers get that big, people tend to cross over. But uh, interesting, I, I would have thought there would have been a decline for sure. Very interesting to hear your thoughts. Speaking of numbers, you mentioned that number of potentially 30 to 50% of all cigarette butts are being littered. That seems an enormously large proportion. Even if it's 30%, let's use a lower estimate. For every smoker that, like Jeremy, former smoker, I should say, that might pick up his butts or get aggro at someone who does, there's obviously a lot of people who are flippantly discarding their butts on the ground. Three out of 10. Three out of 10, five out of 10. And it actually gets worse because smoking has now become convenient. People who even do smoke, they'll go out for a lunch or a dinner. They won't smoke. They'll wait till the end or whatnot. But what that has also done is pushed smokers out onto the street. You can't smoke in a venue anymore. So it pushes people out onto the footpath and out of the establishment that they're in and out into the local government area. Now, just because you're in Manly and you're down at the Wharf Bar, you go out to the, from the Wharf Bar in Manly, I used to go out there, where do you smoke? You're on a jetty, you're right above the water. There are no smoking designated areas in and around local government. And therefore, where do you dispose of them and, and how do you do that? So at least with those smoking areas that we used to have, oh, sorry, we, the popular smokers used to have, <laughs> at least you can find them all, get in that space, have a puff, throw them out, whereas now it doesn't. Do you sort of see any of that, Shannon? Yeah. I think it's relevant. And if you're talking about declining numbers of smokers, but, you know, sort of stable or, or arguably even increasing number of litter, it's because you're exactly right. People are being forced outdoors. If you used to be able to smoke either indoors several years ago or, you know, in a designated smoking area in, in a lot of places, then there would generally be infrastructure provided by the establishment. There would be an ashtray, there'd be a, a bucket that you could actually put those butts in. Whereas now, if you're obviously being asked to go outside, and more importantly, you've got to be, depending on the state, four to five metres away from the door, you've got to be 10 metres away from a playground, you can't be near the water, you can't be on the beach. So if there's not adequate infrastructure in that situation, then of course, what are the options? Pocket, pocket ashtray, I think I spoke last time that, yeah, we love the solution, but it's really a non-smoker's solution to a smoker's problem. I mean, it's not really practical. And then unfortunately, it ends up in the environment and because people still may not know that it's plastic, that it persists in the environment and all the toxic impact that it has. And we, we talked about this toxic impact last time, but it's worth recognising, just highlighting again, that these things are filters, so they're great at absorbing pollutants. So even when they get consumed accidentally by a, a seagull or, a, or other marine sort of life, it does often cause a whole bunch of toxicity to that animal if they don't choke on it in the first place. Yeah, there's 7,000 chemicals which are in there. So as, as it takes that journey to, to break down, depending on the conditions, it's, it's photodegradable, not biodegradable. So it requires the elements to break down or break up, as you'd argue, that each of those you know cellulose acetate strands actually do contain the, the toxins and they are harmful. There's, there's been studies which poor little fishies, studies where one cigarette was placed in a, a bowl of water with a fish and obviously the fish died. So you'd hate to see the impact that that has on our marine environment. Just going back to the numbers and the decline, I mean, up until the first El Nino that ripped through Australia eight months ago or, or a year ago, prior to that, we had two years of intense bushfires in Australia. No decline during that time? Not noticeable. So nothing that sort of surfaced, I suppose, as something which we go, oh, that's attributed to the conditions. I think, you know, it's it's clear that cigarettes do cause a large amount of fires and that it does include bushfires, illegal littering or, you know, deliberate. It's not something that's, I guess, been reported as a massive decline or a massive increase during that period. I think probably the issue with the wet season is that everything that has accumulated on the ground then obviously has an opportunity to be swept down the, the stormwater drains 
and out into the water environment. And that's where obviously it persists and, and leaches. We, we've done a lot of field studies. When I say field studies, not like automatic sampling, monitoring like we do or Brad does. I'm talking about going out to our ocean guards, which are our gully pit units, which take the surface runoff from a certain catchment area. I mean, I can't remember the last one we did, but like hundreds of cigarette butts in one catchment area. So we firsthand, we, we've obviously seen this over a long period of time. I mean, that particular gully pit was in Western Sydney at a, gee, I think it was like a, um, a McDonald's shell station type thing. But that's one gully pit in Australia. And Brad, my dictionary or, or, or Google, how many gully pits would you estimate to be in oh, millions? Jeez. Millions, probably millions, yeah. And it's no coincidence that the most commonly littered item that that is seen in beach cleanups and other sort of cleanups are basically the most commonly caught item that we see in our stormwater treatment devices. But recognising that most of the time, at least 90% of the time, our urban environments do not have any treatment devices at all. So if a butt goes on the ground, Invariably, it's going to rain and be washed into our creeks and rivers uh, and oceans, et cetera. But look, I'm actually keen to touch back a little bit. So we last spoke in May of 2021. What have you been personally up to since our last chat? It's been a hectic but uh, rewarding and interesting journey. I think um, I'm still based uh, up in Cairns in, in far north Queensland. I love, love the environment, love the atmosphere, love the proximity to the water and the reef and probably also the, the mindset here from an environmental and a sustainability perspective, you know, seems to fit well with what our mission is and my personal journey. You know, that's also caused, I guess, sort of created the opportunity to, to be involved and um, personally I was quite humbled to receive the Cairns uh, Volunteer of the Year Award in Australia Day this year. Oh, oh congratulations. Yeah. Just uh, dropping that little truth bomb. I, yeah. didn't really, I, I, I must have forgotten about that one, actually. So well done on behalf of everybody. I didn't see that in my show notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I still kind of, uh, you know, I think that not to say that they got the wrong guy, but there were so many more you know, deserving people. I think when I look at the impact that some of the the other volunteers had on the community over a sustained period of time, I was actually blown away to be nominated. So to then actually receive, you know, that that sort of moment of, oh, and, you know, the winner is, for me, that was quite surreal. And there's a, a couple of photos of me looking like a stunned mullet. <laughs> I'm going to Google that right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying some very nice things, but wasn't there a little part of you going, in your face? No. So, someone? I, no? Not no, at all. I, I'm no. disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, um, you know, we've got, you know, people who had volunteered at uh, men's sheds for 30 years and all these things. And I'm like, oh, look, I, I popped up a couple of years ago and picked up a few cigarette butts. But I think there's some kind words that, um, you know, some of the, the attendees, the delegates, the voting committee made, which is cans based, but actually trying to, you know, have an impact on a state and national level. So I think they're sort of using the, you know, local Cairns resident um, has, you know, national impact type scenario for, for that award. But either way, you know, obviously, you know, humbled to receive it and, you know, happy to, to accept it on behalf of, um, you know, No More Butts and all the volunteers that we've got. So that was quite cool. But then, you know, I suppose the nitty gritty of it and trying to progress in all of the different elements that we probably spoke about last time, um, everything from um, product stewardship, everything from, you know, sort of uh, plastic bans, Obviously, then also, uh, what's the the litter and what's the future plan um, reduction targets? So there's lots of work being happening in that space. And then, you know, more recently or since the end of last year, actually, the question that we we asked ourselves is, um, what if all of a sudden we were successful in in our vision or our mission for a butt free environment? You know, to the point earlier, it's actually well, vaping is becoming sort of a, a huge emerging trend and. What consequences does that come with? So we've been spending a lot of time um, focusing in parallel on vaping as well as cigarette butts. I was keen to talk about product stewardship in particular. And whilst Jeremy might not do much prep in relation to any of our podcast episodes, ah. um, <laughs> I actually jumped on a couple of websites. So it was Philip Morris, their website, and the British American Tobacco Company. And it has to be said, they've got some nice words on their website. And and obviously, I'm sure you need to be careful about what you say. But We don't. Well, I guess I don't. Uh, but the words, it, it, all it is is words. I'll give you examples. The British American Tobacco Industry, their websites, one of them is excellence in environmental management, and it's the right thing to do and sound business sense. And the words are continuing, we are committed to reducing impacts across our operations and, and supply chain. And if you scroll all the way down, they talk some things about waste, and they basically talk about the importance of waste management, what we're doing to 
better educate the community and help in cleanup activities, whatever. They're completely token response to this issue. If I look at the Philip Morris websites, it's more or less the same thing. They make some, you know, they make some lofty goals and say they're going to do this and do that. But it's all about basically placing the blame back on the consumer or government agencies or other groups to essentially clean up the mess that their products leave behind. I personally don't see anything that they're doing in relation to appropriate product stewardship. They have all the buzzwords, all the circular economy, this and that goal by 2025, A, making no progress towards these goals to the best of my knowledge, but B, putting the blame on someone else to look after. Is that fair? Well, hold on, hold on. First and foremost, when you said scroll down on the website, I just scrolled down to the most important part of BAT's core values, which is their share price, Brad. You know, <laughs> their market capitalization of $78.26 billion. They're currently trading at £3,471. Oh, are we British American tobacco? Is that, yep, it is pounds. Got these are humongous organisations that can obviously afford to have fabulous looking sustainability statements on their website. Fabulous websites, they can say it and do it all. But at the end of the day, do they really give a shit? No, they give a shit about what's going into the tobacco to make it more addictive. Even the amount of work they do on the filters, those filters are high tech, highly engineered little things all about making the conveyance of smoking experience. better and the experience of it easier. So I tend to not think that they really care about the environment, mate. That would be my take. The interesting thing, uh, I'm not necessarily going to say the positive thing about them, but the interesting uh, lens is that they are a consumer experience company. So they are led by the experience or, or the, the better experience for their consumers. But I guess the question is, or, or the, the statements that you've just made are, at what cost? And, you know, unfortunately, at the moment, the environment is the impact of that. Our journey initially started on, you know, the whole what's the impact of a but on the environment. But if you actually look even further upstream, you'd start talking about things like deforestation and the impact of communities, um, the impact of water, how many um, litres of water is required to make one cigarette, the carbon which is actually emitted in order to transport that around the world. So they're all factors which come into play, um, even before it gets littered. How much water for one cigarette? It is, is a lot of water for one cigarette. So, um, as part of World No Tobacco Day, um, May 31st, the World Health Organization actually released some really strong statistic from an environmental impact because obviously primarily they're focused on the, the health impact. There was actually a joint partnership with the United Nations and the United Nations Environment Program um, on World No Tobacco Day to talk about all of the impacts that tobacco has on the value chain. Um, and some of those things, some of those stats were alarming. As I said, it's not our primary focus, but you know, if you can actually focus energies upstream, then of course you're, you're picking up less cigarettes, but downstream. So I think, you know, back to your, shall we say, shielded outrage, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is appropriate. Um, yeah, it, it is a lot of lip service. Uh, I think from a product stewardship perspective, it, product stewardship by rights should in, involve everyone. So there's no point pointing the finger at the consumer and saying it's your fault. It's you must dispose of it correctly. It's actually a, a joint effort. And I suppose one of those types of product stewardship is actually an extended producer responsibility, which actually deflects most of the um, energies and efforts and cost associated with that to the producer. And I think, you know, that's where we really need to go. Uh, and, and that's what we were sort of encouraging from a, a federal level to actually implement that kind of um, co-regulatory or mandated scheme. Just backtrack a little bit, the, the dollars as well. Like, so Jeremy's looked up the share portfolio. 3.7 litres per one cigarette. Does that sound about right from the Google? Yeah. 3.7 litres to make a cigarette. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What's the value of the tobacco industry globally? Do you remember, uh, Shannon? It was something like so. It was something like eight point six trillion dollars or something crazy. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, in Australia, it's you know thirteen point one five billion dollars in in excise and duties alone raised in Australia. So well, this is out of the Google Statistics dot com. That in twenty twenty, the value of global uh, tobacco market amounted to over seven hundred and sixty billion US dollars. Wow. So, so on that, so this is obviously an industry that is worth an enormous amount of money. We focus obviously on the plastic pollution in our ocean and waterway environment, but obviously there's the, the water usage, the greenhouse gas emissions. So their environmental footprint has been well established for a very long time. So they know they've got a big impact on the environment. They've got lots of money, but long story short, they're doing very little, close to nothing to actually 
address this problem. Is that a fair assumption? I think it's a fair assumption. I think that there will be pockets of opportunities where they have explored or potentially exploited to, you know, deliver an on-the-ground cleanup event, um, you know, organisations that they may provide funding to overseas or in Australia. We're not one of those, where they are obviously to a certain degree putting some investment into recovering some of the, the damage that has been done. But how great would it be if actually some of that investment was put to preventing uh, the problem from being created in the first place? Wow, that is extremely interesting. So is there anything changing in this space? So last time we spoke in May, there's been a, a bit of activity around the National Plastics Plan, a little bit of government talk. I mentioned that Bateman saw potential lack of activities around the big tobacco uh, groups. Is there any significant change in this space? There's been change, um, significant, uh, impactful, uh, not yet, but I, I can talk through, I guess, the, the changes that, that have happened. Please do. So, firstly, um, tobacco have come together with some other stakeholders and created or extended the scope of their original voluntary stewardship scheme. And that's essentially an opportunity for them to discuss with other stakeholders how you know, the problem may go about being solved. And we're talking about, you know, that litter, I guess, reduction and or prevention in, in this case. Haven't necessarily seen any tangible outcomes from that. I believe they've met uh, a couple of times. There are certain considerations when um, they engage with uh, different levels of, for example, government or public servants that are actually subject to the, the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control, which is an initiative from World Health Organization essentially which restricts the engagement that bodies, government officials have or have the ability to have with tobacco companies. So quite often, um, you know, there's actually a lack of opportunity to come together to have a collaborative discussion because there are restrictions on, on doing so, no matter the intent of the outcome. So can you clarify who's putting the restriction on? The restriction is in writing as Australia is a signatory to the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control. Um, so essentially, it's a global framework for how countries and their stakeholders should be engaging with tobacco. They've res restricted the amount of times you can meet with tobacco, and for better words. And recording um, all of those engagements and the topics of engagement. Essentially, it's only to progress, um, I guess, outcomes in line for the reduction of, uh, you know, health and or environmental impact. Am I missing something? Why would you restrict the engagement between environmental organisations and tobacco? That, that's benefiting tobacco, not the environmental organisations. Am I, am I missing something here? I think the, um, the back, you know, up the line history is, is more so that from a, a global perspective, um, tobacco is considered certainly to have created this issue and continuing this issue across future generations. Um, and therefore in that way, you know, not necessarily to be engaged collaborative because they've tried so many tricks over so many years. Um, so the intention wow. is is not to actually engage collaboratively. So that was a, an eye opener for us. Wow! And that's actually, I suppose, created then some hurdles. So when it comes to things like product stewardship, for example, the minister's priority list was due to be announced by the end of June. Uh, I think um, fair enough to the the new government, they've had to come in and assess everything that's going on before they make the announcement on the minister's priority list. It's still. Uh, hasn't been announced what the priority products for 22-23 will be, but we certainly made a submission for tobacco filters to be put forward for that. We understand it was the most submitted item, the most nominated item out of a suite of products. But, um, you know, it's fair to say due to, I guess, you know, concerns around restriction of engagement, um, how could an actual a product stewardship scheme look like? Um, so I think there's some further work that, that may need to be done on that. You know, that's what we're certainly aiming to you know, continue within the background. I guess elephant in the room is also the fact that big tobacco is very wealthy and probably, well, certainly almost extremely influential in the halls of government. So driving legislative change or even promoting some sort of voluntary arrangement may actually prove very, very difficult to achieve. Exactly. I think the, the conversations which I wouldn't say naively, but optimistically, I, you know, was having, um, a year and a half, two years ago when starting here and saying, look, you know, er everyone should have, um, an opinion or a voice or the opportunity to, to progress this issue. So I think there's, there's been obviously, um, some which are, you know, restrictions and some which have been choices where we've ultimately then said, you know, we want to ensure that we get the right outcome for the environment for smokers and not actually deflecting the blame to them. Um, but ideally in a coordinated and regulated fashion through a federal state or local, you know, stewardship scheme. 
I used to be a smoker. Um, I've got a vape. I don't throw things out. So one thing is to be addicted to tobacco. That obviously falls with the, the person or, or the company giving you the product that's highly addictive, you know, that goes back generations. But they don't make you throw it out. I, I, I disagree with that. The individual does that. I think that the blame needs to go with the individual throwing them out, not the tobacco company. I think shared responsibility you know, comes in. So, and I, I suppose if you look at things like return and earn schemes, those sort of things, there is a shared responsibility in the fact that um, whether there's a financial incentive or otherwise between the producer and the consumer, there all of a sudden then becomes the opportunity to actually do the right thing and be rewarded. Now, in that case, it's financial. We're not necessarily saying financial, but what's the positive reinforcement or the acknowledgement of doing the right thing? And that might be you're actually not polluting the environment. You're not, um, you know, impacting our marine life. You're not impacting the soil quality and so on. So what's that, I guess, feel-good moment for a smoker for doing the right thing? And where's that shared responsibility from tobacco to educate smokers that it is plastic, that it does actually cause issues to the environment? You know, you look at Coca-Cola at the moment and they're getting a lot of media around trying to be sustainable and stop plastic and it's a lot of greenwashing is going on there. Tobacco haven't even started to greenwash, have they? I think the website that you just read through would suggest they have. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but when you talk about greenwashing, going out and educating people about what it does to the environment and and what the the bad stuff of the fallout of smoking does, they certainly don't do that. You don't have education centres in schools saying, hey, guys, once you've finished smoking, then discard it in a decent way. They're not present. I was supposed to say, if you look at the money that they're making, like say it's 870 billion US a year, how much are they spending on education? Very little, it would appear. And, and clearly it's not working. Clearly it's not good enough. And I guess a similar analogy would be the National Rifle Association. You know, their stance has always been guns don't kill people, people kill people. And you say, well, the reality is that manufacturer, the, the gun making, similar to the tobacco company, are making a, a product that has and does cause damage. We see it time and time again in the wrong hands that this causes damage. Now, you know, Australia, like a lot of countries, have taken the stance of we've got to get the guns out of the hands of people. And I think this is a sort of similar potential solution for the tobacco. You know, we've seen time and time again that cigarette butts are the number one littered item. Billions of being discarded in Australia alone every year. Whatever's been done which is very little in relation to education, isn't working. So maybe a a significantly more effective approach is needed. I think it might have even been in the last 12 months, maybe since we last spoke, I've seen um, New Zealand obviously introduce a progressive ban on cigarette smoking. So if you are born essentially after- 2009, I think it is. yeah, Yeah, 2001, you can't smoke. Ever. So you'll actually find in the last 24 hours, they had their first reading in Parliament. So it's quite a topical day to, to be having this discussion. Oh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, they're planning for a smoke-free generation. Essentially, you know, part of that will be restricting accessibility to cigarettes. Uh, but then more importantly, for them at least, um, their view is that uh, essentially excluding the opportunity for getting access to smoking for people over a certain age. Um, so essentially, if you smoke now, that can be grandfathered, but you'll be able to access them more restricted, but then for future smokers. Now, whether that's an overreach, whether that creates issues with black market, um, illicit tobacco, you know, obviously time will tell. For us, it may have the desired impact of the reduction on the environment, which is our primary focus. Um, will it achieve the, the ultimate goals um, of, of the government from a health perspective and so on? You know, that remains to be seen. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey. 
and you, you hit on a really good subject there, the black market. That'll be huge. I'd say the organised crime, um, certainly here in New Zealand, they'll be going, hey, great, this is a great little market that we can hit. But I will tell you a quick story. I, I would have been 15 years old, having the odd dart in Christchurch, New Zealand. I think you could smoke when you were 15 years and older, back in the day. And then they did a radical change and said, uh, you know, I was only 18. And I, we had a really great relationship with the, the dairy down the road. We, you know, like the Foursquare or whatever you want to call it. This fantastic Indian couple have been there my whole life. And, you know, we'd go down and get things from, uh, like, you know, they were like an extended family. I remember going down there when I was, uh, I think the law had just changed. I went down there. I got the lady, the, the Indian lady, I forget her name. I got her to help me laminate my new fake ID. <laughs> so I put it on. Laminator went out, came back an hour later and asked for some cigarettes and she goes, Oh Jerry, you know, the um you know. and I just stood across my new fake ID and she just looked at me. Okay. <laughs> that will happen here too. It will it will go underground. What a great step New Zealand has made, you know, to step it out from a from a generational point of view. All those things, you know, will fall away, but the positive bar you're gonna have I mean, a healthier generation, less uh, impact on the health system, less impact on the environment. Once again, New Zealand's leading the way there. Clearly. <laughs> Look, I take my hat off to New Zealand this one time. Yeah. <laughs> one time this week? Or... <laughs> but you'd want to put the hat back on because it's, uh, it's pretty cold down there apparently. So, <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. Does that mean you can still vape though in New Zealand in the years to come? If yeah. You, yeah. So, so ba- the- cigarettes will be banned, so vaping will be still uh, uh, accessible. So that probably brings us to the topic of vaping. Vaping's mental. It's gone mental. I, I've been, as you the listeners know, I've been home now in New Zealand for a while. Mate, everyone's vaping. Kids are vaping at school. I mean, you can't smell it. You, you know, it, it's it's just the, I mean, if I had vaping back in the day, I'd be vaping at school. It'd be amazing. <laughs> it is a, a massive problem, I guess, here in New Zealand. Um, I'm an ex-smoker, so they say if you have smoked, like, full on, then vaping is 95% better for you, right? So who's they are saying that, Jeremy? Ah, oh, this, uh, oh, well, I did an Alan Carr course. Probably the tobacco companies of the world are telling you. Alan Carr <laughs> is a guy that, um, it's, it's a process of how you give up smoking crap. If you are never, ever a smoker, it's really, really bad for you. Either way, it's still tobacco. It's just getting delivered in a different way. That's all it is. I don't think there was tobacco in vapes in Australia. Uh, nicotine. So this has also changed since last time we spoke. So October the 1st last year, um, it snuck, the legislation snuck through um, essentially, which means that with a prescription, you can actually uh, get access to nicotine-based vaping. Generally, they are imported, but you need a prescription. Um, so there's hundreds of uh, online – they have to be registered on a portal, so standard GP, but they have to register to the scheme. And then you can go and access your GP if they're on the scheme and ask for a smoking cessation aid, which in this case is a nicotine-based uh, vaping device. The interesting thing is, though, of course, that that created the opportunity from an e-commerce perspective to have – online doctors with an online pharmacy at checkout that you could essentially get your prescription and get your shopping cart filled. So nicotine vaping is an issue. And I suppose in, in connection to our strategy, um, that's the primary focus there. But non-nicotine based vaping um, is what's growing and, and growing in the age groups of 14 to 17 and onwards with all the different flavors and smells that you're creating. And that for us is concerned, not because of the, the vaping and the health impacts. I'd say it's too early to say, you know, whether it's good or bad, but I'd suggest it's not good. It's certainly not going to be um, better than not doing it. But I think the thing that people haven't considered is what's the environmental impact of having the vaping there with whether it be nicotine based in there and other food additives and the different chemicals which are used, the hardened plastic, the circuitry and the battery. All of a sudden now that's creating a new environmental issue. So as people are moving across from dropping their cigarette butts, they're actually now having this multi-use you know, vaping device which then doesn't have an actual appropriate discardation scheme. So it's not acceptable to go into waste, but there's no recycling scheme. That's sort of the next mission for us is to actually look at that. There's two comments here. One, bullshit. I've got mates over in Australia that smoke nicotine-based vaping and they buy them from a shop. It is everywhere. I went out for lunch with a good mate of mine that I had never smoked. We went outside and he pulls out a vape. He goes, mate, it's amazing. had a blast of it. I'm like, mate, there's nicotine in there. I said... I thought you couldn't buy them over here. He goes, mate, it's heaps of shops. So they are everywhere. And going to the next part, it is 
a huge environmental concern. How do you discard with your vapes? There's nicotine reduction devices out there that are made from wood and like a passive type thing, which has got no electronics in it. There are a lot of these vapes out there that are cheap. You buy them, I think a Boost one, they're $10. They last for a few months and then you just discard them. It's just a little bit of electronics that have gone. Now, as that grows, are we going to see vapes on the ground everywhere? Already are, and certainly not in the large percentages. But as you say, if you've got months worth of smoking into one device, you're going to see less incidences of that. But arguably, it's got more impact because of not just the chemical residue, in this case, the hardened plastic, which will last longer than cigarette butts, but then also the circuitry, you know, because people don't realize that it's actually, it creates a vapor, which requires heat, which requires, you know, you press the button, which activates the battery, which generates heat, which then aerosols this vape juice into your mouth. So all the circuitry required for that is actually complex, even though it's in a small device, you've got circuitry there and you've got a battery powering it, whether that's rechargeable, but primarily lithium ion. You know the issues that if you're putting lithium ion batteries into your household waste and they can actually be condensed and explode and create fires. So we haven't looked at that or no one's looked at that yet with the emergence of this new trend. And I think the other thing to highlight is that it's accessible because it's not heavily regulated and it's not heavily taxed. So it's kind of creating an alternative to cigarettes at a more affordable price point without the consideration of the environmental impact that it might have. It just staggers me that a product can become produced and become so widespread without really any assessment as to its environmental or human health risk. Come on, Brad, that does it. Maybe I'm being naive. Oh, Maybe oh. call me naive. Like, you know, where are the conspiracy theorists? Season four. Oh. <laughs> when season four? <laughs> <laughs> Give an example. So when when everyone was getting COVID jabbed, all the conspiracy theorists were out. They were worried about their nanoparticles, or whatever, getting into their arms and all that sort of stuff. But meanwhile. I'm guessing the, a very large proportion of those same conspiracy theorists are sucking back on a vape without any assessment as to the health implications of inhaling that fume from some sort of electrical device, which someone has made. Someone might say, oh, it's apparently you know, healthier for you. Based on who? It's probably the company or the industry selling you that product. One thing I can take away from living my life is do not trust the tobacco industry. Like, I, I, yeah, simple as that. You know, I, I'd love for them to be part of the solution in terms of mitigating this issue, but clearly they're dragging the chain. Clearly, despite having all the ability and resources to actually address this issue, they're doing as close to nothing as possible. And obviously, they've lied to the public for decades. I've got no trust in them whatsoever. I'd love for them to step up and actually do start doing some stuff. In that meantime, I'm just going to remain sceptical and continue to call BS on anything they say. It's interesting when you read through the, I guess, some of those metrics that they've set themselves for their own waste reduction targets and and plastic reduction targets and so on, and talking about their own vision of, um, you know, whether it be a a smoke-free future or or the different alternatives which are, are being used as, I guess, catch cries and slogans, that if the industry moves from tobacco smoking or cigarette smoking across to vaping, then by default, every cigarette butt is a plastic item and they've already then reduced their plastic footprint. So the the signaling that they're doing on the website of talking about reduction in plastic generation and so on is actually being serviced by their own move across to vaping. And you look at the the global ownership structure um, of a lot of these companies um, ultimately feed back to, um, to big tobacco companies. So they've seen the future cortisol blindsided, and they're now implementing that to various degrees across various countries um, with varying degrees of success. So Jeremy and myself are calling BS on these guys. You're obviously indicating a reasonably high level of scepticism, but I'm guessing, do you have to work with these groups or want to work or at least aspire to potentially collaborate with these groups and and industries to solve this problem and achieve your mission of a butt-free environment? Yes, I think... um do we want to? No. Um, is it potential that we will need to? Yes. Um, you know, are we open to doing so with the right, you know, framework and so on? Yes. Um, so I think I started out quite optimistic that maybe people hadn't tried X, Y, and Z before. And, and it's for me to kind of, um, you know, come in with these solutions and a new mindset and, and open that door, knock on the door. And I think it, it was met with relative degrees of acceptance from their side, shall we say. Fast forward a year and we've seen no tangible actions, which ultimately means that there may not be the intent to support that cause. So I think, you know, yes, 
there is definitely a lot of, of BS in what they're doing. Uh, there is a lot of greenwashing, which is there. There's very little accountability in Australia and globally. And I do think, you know, it is time to uh, to make that national or international effort to hold, um, you know, them to account as part of a total solution, you know, which may include, of course, sort of uh, some element of sort of consumer's responsibility in there as well, but certainly the producer's responsibility to fund the, you know, sort of the education and the behavioural change. I'm just looking up on the BAT website and there's a 212-page document that I think the World Health Organization has written. It's talking about the Empower Initiative. Monitor, protect, offer, warn, enforce, raise. Monitor tobacco use for prevention policies. Protect people from tobacco smoke. Offer help to quit tobacco use. Warn people about dangers of tobacco. Enforce bans on tobacco advertising promotion and sponsorship and R for raised taxes. This is essentially the elements of the FCTC, um, and I think I'm just looking on that site. So I hadn't heard that acronym or that term, but essentially that represents what the FCTC is. And I guess that's just a metric for, you know, how they the measure the impact of that. Each one of the tobacco companies, I suppose, are, are given, you know, the opportunity to deliver on those, but generally it's going to be forced by some kind of government. So one of the other changes since last year is you look at um, the EU, they've got a plastics initiative essentially, which now all packets of cigarettes sold in member states of the EU. We're used to our health warnings. They've actually now got a filter contains plastic and it's got a little sea turtle and it's a label which is affixed on every single packet which is sold in those member states. And that goes towards their obligations of meeting this Empower thing, which is essentially what's required under the FCTC also listed as one of the United Nations Sustainability Goals as well. So those rules around packaging, education, et cetera, they're basically being enforced on the tobacco industry by government. Is that a fair call? Correct. So essentially what's you know, the World Health Organization, United Nations are encouraging countries to adopt FCTC and actually implement the different suggestions as required underneath there. But there's been relative low level of success, shall we say, because there's always, I guess, a fight which will ensue around, you know, restriction of uh, various things, you know, opportunity to open up illicit trade, which is, of course, an issue which actually people probably see eye to eye on. Um, You don't want illicit trade, no matter which side of the fence you're on. I'm sort of one to say what I think pretty quickly. So my experiences with telling people to pick up their butts haven't ended always that well. Some of them shocked, some of them want to punch me. Have you got any sort of experience or any suggestions on how to approach people? I've only ever had positive experiences. I think education is, is, you know, the start of all of those discussion points because would you reasonably think that if someone knows that that's plastic and will stay there for 15 years that they will actually deliberately litter that item? So generally it's, a, it's an educational approach for myself. Did you know that? what you just littered is still going to be there in 15 years' time. Did you know that that could be ingested by a sea turtle out there on the reef? And you're kind of taking them on that journey. Oh, I had no idea. We also have a little bit of fun. So, you know, from a slogans perspective, we have a bit of cheek with our, um, I guess, our slogans, our names. So, you know, that'd be, oh, sorry, mate, can I grab your butt? <laughs> Those kind of things, a little bit of uh, Australia, New Zealand kind of humour to throw into there. Don't be a flicking idiot. That's sort of one of our sort of statements or comments that we make as well. I think in approaching that conversation. Now, obviously, some people are going to be off guard. Some people are going to be, you know, none of your business. But generally, we're probably not going to change their mind anyway. So in that case, walk around them, pick up their cigarette. But if they feel bad, great. If they don't, you're not going to change their mind anyway. But it's created a few really positive conversations. um, And optimistically, you'd hope that, you know, if we can solve one at a time, then eventually we'll get to, you know, all those 30 to 50% of people that don't do the right thing. And on those 30 to 50% of people that don't do the right thing, what do you got planned in the uh, next one or two years in relation to achieving this mission of a butt-free environment? Yeah, I think this is where coordinated, ideally national or state level intervention has to happen. There's only so much that NGOs such as ourselves can actually do. The activities have got to be hyper-local and, you know, that would require umpteen amount of volunteers, umpteen amount of, you know, localised messaging, umpteen amount of infrastructure, dedicated infrastructure, which is serviced regularly and upkept. So I think that whole national awareness campaign is critical, um, similar to how we've seen with with other, not that it's anything like COVID, but, you know, how you saw a coordinated advertising campaign around COVID. 
whether it be other litter streams, whether it even be quit. You know, there was a obviously national coordinated um, health messaging around smoking. Why can't there be a national coordinated, um, you know, impact of smoking or impact of litter on the environment and potentially now, of course, vaping in there? I think without that, it's very hard to then just expect that people will change their mindset and put it into the bin. So multifaceted approach around hyperlocal, you know, activations, dedicated infrastructure, which is service correctly, and national awareness campaigns. And then if there's still not much change, you've got the opportunity to start enforcing um, that via the different litter laws and smoking laws, designated outdoor smoking areas, those sort of things. I'd ideally like to see it included in the list of plastic bans. It is a single-use plastic. We have submitted into um, the various different state governments um, with a lot of support, but not yet been successful. Yeah, including support from Ocean Protect. We've put in our own submissions. Absolutely. I think we've just basically taken your template and sent it off to our uh, local representatives. So I think those templates are still probably available on your website, aren't they? Yeah, they should be. So we've just had Queensland obviously recently announce, you know, some of their bands, WASA as well. So, um, you know, the consultation papers are, are public. Um, unfortunately, at the outcomes at this stage is that, you know, they, they aren't considering um, tobacco filters as necessarily in their first range or second range of, of plastic bands, but that's really where the ultimate outcome will be. If you talk about the impact of the environment, if you're removing the filter, which is actually trapping all the toxins and is plastic in itself, all you're doing is actually removing that. And you know, World Health Organization, which is obviously invested in protecting people's health, have actually come out and said the filters um, do not have any impact to health, so therefore they are unnecessary. And um, you know, as an unnecessary plastic item, they should therefore be banned. Backtrack a little bit. So the WHO is saying that the filters don't have any positive benefit to health to the smokers. Really? I thought that was the whole idea of filters. I think the whole idea of filters was from tobacco uh, about uh, two or three decades ago. To reduce the amount of tobacco, isn't it? To make more money. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Correct. Plus also being able to hold it. Um, plus also they were able to manipulate the flavours such as menthol and so on via that via the filter. Yeah. Right. That is fascinating. Wow. I feel as though we could talk all day about cigarettes. There's obviously such a backstory behind this whole industry. It's fascinating. And obviously there is an enormous history from the pioneering tobacco uh, farmers, et cetera. And it's, it's just unfortunate that something that probably has, or probably did start off trying to be benevolent and, you know, creating jobs, et cetera, has actually turned into such a detrimental industry to our health and our planet. And I'd love to see it change, basically. But you've probably got a whole bunch of uh, motivated listeners rolled up about cigarettes if they aren't already. So is there anything that you'd recommend the listener do to support you or change in this space? Yeah, I think from a, a listener's perspective, I think there's a couple of angles. Obviously, the conversations amongst their peer group, whether they are smokers or whether they are, are vapors and never smokers, I think having that conversation of do you know the environmental impacts of um, of what you're doing? Uh, do you know that that cigarette butt can last in the environment for 15 years and leach toxic chemicals? If you're vaping, never smoking, are you aware that that has got a battery and that that shouldn't necessarily be discarded in your household waste? So they're the conversation starters, I think, are important. But then more importantly is the action that needs to come from there. So encouraging local government, so councils, you know, state members uh, in particular, what is being done to address this? So from a vaping perspective, what's being done from an e-waste? Can they actually be dropped off at e-waste centres? At the moment, there's nothing planned. And then from a uh, cigarette butts perspective, what can be done or when will something be done around plastic bans or you know extended producer responsibilities to make sure that taxpayers aren't paying for the burden that is actually ultimately created with the litter? So that's some great advice. But just on that comment on the vaping cartridges, you're saying don't put them in the bin, but you can't take them to an e-waste centre. Yeah. it's uh, So th- this is a question that I asked about six, seven, eight months ago is, well, what do we do with them? We, our mission is ultimately to solve the problem, but we don't necessarily, we're not the scientists with the answers as to how to solve it. Because of the different components, so for example, it's got the battery, you could go, well, well could that go into B-Cycle, the new battery stewardship? Well, no, because it's not actually allocated, it's not accepted, um, and it's got you know, a mixture of chemicals and other components. Okay, could it go into Mobile Muster because they're expanding their product portfolio? No, because it's got this and this and it's not catered for. The sponsors and the producers don't pay a levy on it, and you know who would pay that? 
And then it's not part of the um, NTCRS um, either, the, which is st- your standard council waste system. You know, my advice would be, please don't put it into waste because it could actually explode. But where do I take it? I'd say you probably need to contact a council and encourage them to think pretty quickly about how they're going to deal with this emerging trend. It is segue because I live on a place called Total Terrace here in Wanaka. And a few years ago, two houses burnt down just up the road. And the cause of the fire was a budget drill appliance or, or tool. And the battery was left on the charger, exploded, everything went into fire. With vapes, people have got chargers everywhere. They're all little disasters waiting to really happen, really. There's no regulation. Things like when it comes to importing, you know, obviously you've got customs declaration for items over a thousand, but essentially it's it's pretty unregulated. And it's very hard to tax and it's not easy to then place a levy and include in schemes. So things like imported codes, things like retail sales data, none of this exists at the moment. So it's very hard to drive that change. And, and that's, you know, in the background, what we've been encouraging all levels of government to do um, is to actually seriously consider how we can tackle this, not just from a health perspective, but also to mitigate the potential environmental disaster which is going to come. Yeah, I think at the very least, the tobacco industry with all their money all their resources could set up some sort of circular economy scheme around cartridges. And espresso did it. Why can't tobacco do it? Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of companies do it. Coffee cups. Yeah. There you go. Um, I know Zero Co. Uh, my, I, I get all my cleaning products from those guys. They have a, a reusable sort of a scheme. So forever containers, but I have little sachets where I put my liquids in and then I have to what, send it back. What do you do with your hair product, mate? You must have heaps of those. <laughs> no, I, I don't use my, my hair uh, as, as spectacular as my hair looks, Jeremy. There's no plastic products going into it. I use a hair shampoo, which I get from Banished. Shout out to Lottie, oh, uh, Lottie. Uh, DL yeah. uh, from Banished. So my hair's never looked so spectacular since I've been using a bar of hair shampoo. <laughs> the shampoo bars, they're amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's what I use. So no more plastic, baby. And, and look how ma- fabulous my hair looks, Jeremy. Oh, look at it. You're, look at you're, it. You're, <laughs> oh, no, is, your, is your bit of grey coming through there? You look like a... Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. What's her name? It's just wisdom. Oh, wisdom. Wolverine. I think they're called... He's called <laughs> <laughs> I get the comparisons every day, Hugh Jackman. They're like, I walk down the street, they're like, is it Jared Leto? Is it Hugh Jackman? Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> oh, but, hey, for the listeners, for the listeners, he looks like Storm with that little bit of grey. <laughs> 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 He's got grey regrowth. It could, could be the love child. It could be Wolverine uh, Storm's love child. I do have a few greys, but uh, unlike uh, unlike Jeremy, Jeremy who, uh, who dyes his hair no, every, no, no, every no, week, no, you know. No, <laughs> uh, oh, please. Who are you kidding? Anyway, so moving quickly forward. Uh, so we probably need to land this plane, but it's a big issue. Are you optimistic about solving this in an, in an expedient manner? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the question is when and will it be quick enough? But the progress that we've seen in the last couple of years certainly suggests that we are, you know, on the right track for change. Um, I think it's the right time with the Global Plastics you know, Pollution Treaty, with all the plastic bans in Australia and across the world, the smoke-free generation in New Zealand. It's the right time to make noise. And I'm confident something will happen. I can just only hope that it's going to be, you know, quick enough to actually have the desired impact on the environment. And look, I'm hopeful too. I've been seeing a lot in the social media world of it around tyre degradation and uh, the amount of plastic that's going into our waterways, and especially over the last couple of weeks. I mean, we've been talking about this for, for years, donkey's years, 10 years, you know, a long time. And it does take a long time. Unfortunately, we as a human race, we wait until we're nearly really buggered before we actually do anything. But gee, hats off to you, Shannon. The work you're, you're doing it is truly inspirational. I, I know it probably gets sick of being the, the no more butts man. Um, but without people like you, volunteering your time and effort, um, and especially sharing your knowledge, that's a real commendable effort. It's you're going out there, you're talking to people, you're engaging with the community. And I take my hats off to you, mate. Um, you know, well done on what you're doing and, um, and, and may your good work continue. And look forward to getting you on uh, in the next couple of seasons to see what, uh, what wonderful results you've done. Absolutely. No, I appreciate the comments and, uh, yeah, look forward to Brad being able to kind of, uh, say verbatim what we talked about in this session. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, he will. If people want to, uh, find out more, head to, uh, no more butts. So no more butts.org or no more Um, find us on, on Facebook, Insta, um, no more butts au. And that link will be in the show notes, obviously, as well, if people want to find out more. Yeah. Fantastic. Cool, mate. 
Cool. Well, look, it's been a wonderful chat as always, Shannon. We will definitely have to get you on in a year or two to find out all the amazing progress that's been made in this space. From the bottom of my heart, to thank you so much for coming on our show today. Always great seeing you, and I look forward to seeing what you, you achieve in the future. No, thanks for the opportunity. It's been great to have a chat, and uh, yeah, let's go for a butt-free environment. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Shout the room. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.